I stayed up and watched Die Hard and Crimson Tide like back to back and then couldn't go to sleep. And then I took my pills for the morning and passed out around 12 o'clock and I woke up to about three, I woke up about three to your message. Crimson Tide and Die Hard just had you so jacked up, huh? Scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengow, any Glen. I'm drunk. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Uh, not a second to fucking breathe with either movie. Let's start with those. How about that? That's fine. I think this is, this is a little bit different from what we normally do, uh, which is, uh, I don't know if I'm the sadist in this relationship, as I usually program <laughs> <laughs> the movies. Do but it to yourself. There is a, uh, a masochist tendency, uh, which seems to be popular on Sober Cinema, which is uh, something like, I, I don't know, what would you say? Girls just want to have fun? That kind of fits into the mold of what? people want to hear us talking about the expectation that there will be pain and agony. And, uh, as we said in that episode, uh, this is not for us. Uh, this is not that episode. I, I, I played it about as safe as possible here with what I presume to be two movies from our, uh, our youth that, uh, that we both like. I don't really know that for sure. And maybe you'll throw me a curveball, but, uh, unlike other episodes, Crimson Tide and Die Hard with a Vengeance both were financially successful and critically oh. successful. I've seen them before. I like them. Do you want to be the one to say that uh, you're still in agony from uh, what uh, Mr. Tony Scott offered you and uh, you know Bruce Willis as uh, John McClane yet again? Well, I don't want to jump off of a bridge after watching either one of them, but... I guess yeah. there's been enough time. I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, I... I... I, when you sent me the pairings for this, I was like, this is, uh, Mike's had enough. Mike's had enough cats. <laughs> Mike's had enough nonsense. Mike needs a break. So yes, this is him much. going to the movie, uh, uh, closet and getting his, uh, his hot tamales and his popcorn and just enjoying himself. I so I, far more perverted there. Like <laughs> Mike's going to the old favorites. He knows what, he knows what gets the job done. He knows what, he knows what kinks he's into. <laughs> Yeah, Denzel on a sub getting smacked around by Gene Hackman. Uh, maybe maybe one too many times uh, in Crimson Tide. Uh, I mean, it's it's close enough, right? These opened uh, a week apart. So this is 25-year anniversary here. Crimson Tide came out on May 12th. Die Hard May 19th. And uh, I, I, I guess this is like an embarrassment of riches in May of 1995 for uh, – dads father and sons <laughs> to go to the movies now i will admit there was another pairing out there uh that, that could have been done that would have possibly played more into the sober cinema wheelhouse uh this month and maybe for super fan hiro he would have uh approved of that more uh harry and sally billy crystal meg ryan each had separate movies about falling in love in france which i thought 
Was there was there it's a odd, feud? Was there timing. was there a falling out between those two actors where they wanted to go head to head with the uh, you know sort of, sort of a similar plot? This will not uh, surprise you. I did actually watch those movies. Uh, one of them is not bad. I uh, of course, keeping with my reputation, I do not ever side with Billy Crystal. So Meg Ryan movie <laughs> that should have been the only one. Forget Paris. No French kiss. Yes, but we're not doing that here. I didn't put you through it. Uh, you just want to start them chronologically. Crimson Tide. Came out uh, yeah, a week we before. Do what do you think? I think there's nothing on this. <laughs> yes, sir. It uh, got cut off during the attack. Then it's meaningless. Sir, this is an EAM pertaining to nuclear missile. No, Mr. Hunter. That's a message fragment. Because it got cut off during the attack, so the message can mean anything. It can be a message to a board. It can be a message. It could that, be a fake Russian transmission. Which is exactly why we need to confirm, sir. All I'm asking for is the time we need to get back on line. Calm down, Mr. Hunter. I am calm. You don't appear to be calm. Calm weapons. Missile systems ready to launch in four minutes. Step aside, Seaman. Yes, sir. We have orders in hand. And those orders to make a preemptive launch. Every second that we lose increases the chances that by the time our missiles arrive, their silos could be empty because they'd flown their birds and struck us first. Yes, sir. You know as well as I do that any launch order received without authentication is no order at all. That's Captain. our number one rule. National that rule is the basis for the scenario we've trained on time and time again. Yes, sir. It's a rule we follow without exception. Captain, National Military Command Center knows what sector we're in. They have satellites looking down on us to see if our birds are aloft, and if they're not... Then they give our orders to somebody else. That's why we maintain more than one sub. It's what they call redundancy. I know about redundancy, Mr. Hunter. All I'm saying... All I'm saying, Captain, is that we have backup. Now, it's our duty not to launch until we can confirm. You're presuming that we have other submarines out there ready to launch. But as Captain, I must assume that our submarines could have been taken out by other Akulas. We can play these games all night, Mr. Hunter, but I don't have the luxury of your presumptions. Sir. Mr. Hunter, we have rules that are not open to interpretation, personal intuition, gut feelings, hairs on the back of your neck, little devils or angels sitting on your shoulders. Captain, We're all very well aware of what our orders are and what those orders mean. They come down from our Commander-in-Chief. They contain no ambiguity. Captain, Mr. Hunter, I've made a decision. I'm captain of this boat. That's I've seen this one. This might actually be, you know, you uh, blasphemed uh, already with the great Tony Scott uh, talking about his, <laughs> I don't know if I want to say untimely death, because he, he definitely he oh, was, he planned it pretty well. He was picking the time. Now, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe he got a diagnosis of like brain cancer or something. So, <laughs> Jared, given is his all... movies, I mean, that's, that's definitely the Tony Scott way of, <laughs> of checking out, I suppose. Right. Uh, I always said this was my, my favorite Tony Scott movie, which, uh, oh, it has okay. that certain slickness to it. Uh, some of his other ones, if you just look on, uh, Wikipedia, cause I, I wondered if it's just my bias, but no, it's, it's up there. It's, it's included as far as like, here's what he's known for. I would say Top Gun, probably his most famous, maybe most yeah. iconic. Uh, you have Enemy of the State of, with uh, Will Smith. Stuff like that. Days of Thunder. There's another one. So, you know, he's he's working with big movie stars. Uh, Denzel mm -hmm. a couple times with Man on Fire. You just mentioned Tom Cruise. Uh, we have not yet, shockingly, on this podcast, done one of our favorites, which is The Last Boy Scout with uh, <laughs> Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Willis, which is... <laughs> I think that's more your favorite. It just... I mean, not that I don't dislike it. It's just 
the the pedestal that has been put on for a guy getting shot on the football field. It, it's like watching a kid open up something at Christmas. Whenever I'm watching you watch that movie, I get as much enjoyment out of watching. Roll you the watch clip. The movie. Roll the clip. <laughs> A movie not featured on this podcast. I'm just saying, Tony Scott knows he, he knows how to have a God. badass suicide. coming. But this was one that I always said. Okay, so if I had to pick a Tony Scott movie, uh, this would be my my favorite. I watched this. Uh, pretty sure I watched this opening weekend with my dad. I think I watched this and Die Hard. Of course, where we come from, a small town. I think. <laughs> One of these movies, we had a drive-in, thankfully, in our small town, which is actually like – I don't think we gave uh, Stanton, Kentucky enough credit that we actually had new movies that were like you know minutes away. Uh, two screens. you had, And I'm pretty sure we had yeah. Die Hard on one and Crimson Tide on the other, and I think that's where I saw both of these. So I have very, very sort of biased, fond memories watching them with my, my dad who said nothing throughout the entire movie. And then <laughs> as soon as the credits roll, directed by Tony Scott, he just starts the car and we just drive off. Like there's no, <laughs> there was no podcast talk back then <laughs> with him. That's, that's pretty much on brand though for your <laughs> yes. dad. Like that's, that's the biggest indication I've ever seen of, seen of him being pleased is, and also being pissed. Like it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's a hard one to judge. You can't ever tell. Like, I think he liked Crimson Tide. I think he liked Die Hard <laughs> with a Vengeance. I don't know. He didn't complain. Um, I would, I would only say there's one I caught up with much later. Uh, his first movie, The Hunger, which is a vampire movie from 82, 83. Have you seen that one? No. Check that out. No. Hey, you want to talk about Mike going to his uh, kink closet? That one. <laughs> Susan Sarandon becomes a, a lesbian vampire. You've already sold me on that one. Yeah. That's fine by me. <laughs> David Bowie's in it, you know, as a, as a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say his look lends to being a vampire, but also a little bit sure. I think I believe he's a little bitchy vampire in that. You know, he 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 can't really get his head around, uh, you know, why his uh, his mistress stone. of the darkness wants to like uh, enter a lesbian relationship, and it's like you and the audience, like, just be quiet, let it happen, shut up. <laughs> the men in the audience, oh god. So Crimson Tide um, is, I would say, it's a classic type of movie jared it's like you uh you know, I've, I've not seen some uh was it like mutiny on the bounty i guess would be like a, a famous one where it's like you know you put uh men in a, a very very tight quarters uh very stressful situation 12 angry men i think uh that's one we've both seen and, and you basically just let them psychologically bully each other before mm -hmm. i guess the fisticuffs break out there's always a threat of violence and uh eventually you get it in crimson tide so this is this is you know if i if my wheelhouse is uh lesbian vampires and men <laughs> bullying each other tony scott is just for me you know I, i've got what i need from the man this is in my wheelhouse i i cannot judge this accurately i i think crimson tide is fucking great what about yourself <laughs> This had been the first time that I'd watched it in forever. This was also another one of those watching with dad experiences. But, you know, mom, <clears throat> my mom is a strictly like Disney type of movie person. So this definitely is definitely not definitely the hunger, not then. the uh, the vampire movie I was throwing out there. <laughs> no, no, this is not in her wheelhouse. Um, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where 
I'm, I'm not going to say you're ashamed of this type of movie. And, and, and what I mean by that is like women looking into it, like, man, you guys are so fucking stupid. Like all you do is beat your chest and want to <laughs> like fucking fight with each other. But there's, there's something on that level where it's like when you break it down and, and this is even in that, this isn't me being too introspective or anything, but the psychologies and the, uh, the, the philosophies, to conflict with each other, you know, and it eventually devolves into actually striking one another. But it, it's it's fun to see, like, and and really, I I don't think either one of them's wrong in their philosophies. Like, you can look at it from a reasonable point of view from both of them. Like, both of you could be right and could be wrong, and. It's a difficult situation. One thing, uh, like, because I had done a podcast on this one before, and I believe Superfan Hyro. Uh, this is probably a, a, a sign that I should not have entertained becoming friends with this man. Uh, gave a comment <laughs> on an early War Machine versus War Horse episode, which was on submarine movies. And mm. uh, I I said, you know, maybe the movie. I think it's perfect. But maybe it works just as well, if not better, if Gene Hackman, the one that wants to push the button from like the word go, mm. uh, and in his mind – start nuclear war, you know, before uh, America is destroyed. Um, maybe it works just as well, if not better, if he's right. I mean, that's definitely a darker mm. Twilight Zone ending because uh, watching it now as an adult, I, I agree with you that the situation dictates that either one of them has a point because you mm. don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to be necessarily first to a nuclear war if there's not going to be one. Because then you are the villain of the, of the story, mm-hmm. and then you've put your own people in danger uh, for any possible retaliation. But you also definitely don't want to be last. <laughs> you don't want to be twiddling your thumbs talking about Silver Surfer comics in the sub, <laughs> the bottom of the ocean, when uh, you know America is being blown to smithereens. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. However, the Gene Hackman character. It's just a fantastic ass. I mean, even before any of this starts, he is. Like bemused with what he perceives to be like this fancy new progressive weakness that he sees in Denzel Washington for uh, going to uh, an Ivy League college for you know uh, taking philosophy or for maybe having a, a bent. Uh, and there's a, a, an exchange which I'll drop in here. I don't understand. What don't you understand? Rachenko is a fanatic. Okay, he's a potential Hitler. Somebody should just step up and shoot him. I have no problem with that. Good. Well, it's fanatics who make history. Hell, Patton was a fanatic. It's what made him great. You think this guy's Patton? He's a dangerous lunatic, and he's threatening nuclear war, and he means it. What's that make us, since we're the only nation ever dropped a nuclear bomb on anyone? It makes us a prime target. I mean, there's half a dozen other third-world countries with atom bombs would love to drop one on us. That's right. That's why we should drop one on them. What are you, a communist? You have a problem with us dropping <laughs> nuclear bombs in Japan? Shut up, Doc. You think it was a mistake, Mr. Hunter? Sir? Using the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Well, if I thought that, sir, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> Interesting way you put that. How'd I put it, sir? Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> you do qualify your remarks. Somebody asked me if we should have bombed Japan. A simple yes. By all means, sir, drop that fucker twice. <laughs> I don't mean to suggest that you're indecisive, Mr. Hunter. Not at all. Just, uh, complicated. 
course. That's the way the Navy wants you. Me, they want it simple. Well, you certainly fooled them, sir. <laughs> Be careful there, Mr. Hunter. That's all I got to rely on, Bina. Simple-minded son of a bitch. Rickover gave me my command, a checklist, a target, and a button to push. All I had to know is how to push it, and they'd tell me when. They seem to want you to know why. I would hope they'd want us all to know why, sir. The Naval War College, it was metallurgy and nuclear reactors, not 19th century philosophy. <laughs> War is a continuation of politics by other means. Von Clausewitz. I think, uh, sir, that what he was actually trying to say was a little more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, the purpose of war is, is to serve a political end, but the true nature of war is to serve itself. <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> In other words, the sailor most likely to win the war is the one most willing to part company with the politicians and ignore everything except the destruction of the enemy. That You'd agree with that? I'd agree that uh, that's what Clausewitz was trying to say. But you wouldn't agree with it? No, sir, I do not. <laughs> No, I, I just think that in the nuclear world, a true enemy can't be destroyed. Attention on deck. Von Clauschwitz will now tell us exactly who the real enemy is. <laughs> Von? <laughs> in my humble opinion... In the nuclear world, the true enemy is war itself. And, uh, boy, does that not play well with old man Hackman that wants to do a <laughs> Roll Tide chant like he's going to a football game before they go They go to uh, shoot nuclear uh, you know, missiles into uh, Russia. So I would say generation, you know, from a generational perspective, they are setting up Gene Hackman to be like, well, he's real – He's real quick to like want to start shit with people, even when it's peacetime. Uh, he's trying to like get underneath Denzel's skin. It's um, they they play that up really well too with them thinking that he's maybe a little bit insecure with Denzel trying to come in and take his job. The Navy thinks he's an old um, uh, what's the word? I'm, he's like the old, <laughs> I guess, for lack of a better term, horse that they're ready to put out to pasture. Does, he does like to talk shit about horses well, a lot. Uh, they fucking go on about horses. I know. I, I knew you love that. I, I just <laughs> now, even though we had the, uh, the conversation we had was over a year ago for the horse whisperer, but before this Skype recording, as Jared was sleeping away, his, uh, late night <laughs> workouts from 2k, uh, I was editing and uploaded the horse whisperer episode, which dear listener, uh, bit of time travel you will have heard by now because i have it scheduled to come out right before this one and uh I, the only thing you really uh contributed to that episode on a like a point you really wanted to make was how much you hate horses in general <laughs> that movie was painful i just don't like the animal in general anybody that knows me you know behind the scenes already knows this fact so sam yeah, rockwell fact- hanging out with a 10 uh, year old girl oh, jared, jared can you can kind of see that, but God damn, you bring up horses. I just can't abide it. And so I wondered about you with Crimson Tide when Hackman, that's one of the things he, yet again, he has to, he wants to be the expert so bad. It, it, it's kind of like a, it's a pretty apt version of, uh, 
kind of conservatives I deal with now in my life where they like smirk at anyone who is well-versed or educated in something. But then they also want to be the first to tell you, no, 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 here's why I'm right instead. Mm-hmm. It's like, so do you do you respect expertise or not? Because it seems like anyone that is designated <laughs> an expert is some sort of dork to you know go ahead and give them a swirly. But they also like they need it. It's not that far removed from our president that like you know hates the New York Times and the liberal media. But really, like every day he wakes up and he wants the New York Times. He's desperate for them to just say something nice about him. Please give him the credit that he so desires. I, back then, I would not have thought about it at all. Like in the mid-90s, I would just be like, well, he's kind of old. As you said, this guy's young, a little bit insecure. And now I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, wow, this is a pretty pretty good takedown of like the modern conservative. Just <laughs> don't tell me what you Boy. learned. I <laughs> if I don't know it, I don't need to know it. I know more about horses than you. You know how? <laughs> I'm older. <laughs> I just, you know, I I just trust my eyes. I don't trust what you read in a fucking book. <laughs> uh, it's pretty uh, to be made so long ago, like, and especially casted so perfectly, a Harvard-educated black man coming in and challenging the authoritative white man. You are not going to get any more insecure of a racist white man than a Harvard-educated black man coming into his uh, environment. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the way they... I guess they just <laughs> they just skate by a little bit on the race issue. Like they they don't yeah. put it front and center, other than the fact that you have to acknowledge visually you were looking at a younger black man mm-hmm. uh, try, <laughs> trying to talk the crazy older white guy off the ledge. Like please do not fire the nuclear <laughs> missiles until we have you know <laughs> we have exact orders on what to do. So can we please just make can we just double check on this one? That's all. Let's just double check. Definitely the wrong ambassador to try and speak sense into the crazy old white man. I mean, when you're you're praising the great state of uh, Alabama, uh, you know that's that's a little bit of a cue. And also, uh, going back to the horse thing, uh, there's a bit towards the end where they're they're having a disagreement again over uh, this particular horse and. Hackman is like you know the like the best horse in the world. It's fucking white. You know he's white. They're white, and it is kind of like a it, it catches you off guard a little bit. You're like oh, this is how we're gonna this is how we're gonna talk about it, uh, which I, I like. I like that that you know there's not just a uh, a very special Crimson Tide episode where they talk about race. Uh, they just sort of talk around it. I, I did read some letterbox reviews. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know why I go on letterbox. Like I thought that was my shelter in the storm from Twitter because I pretty much just stopped. Like with Twitter, if someone like says, "Hey, I liked your episode," I just click like, which is about as much engagement. Like, yes, you should. I acknowledge. I acknowledge. I am good. Yes. You're smart. <laughs> um, but I get on letterbox and I'm, I'm seeing people talking shit. About Crimson Tide, like uh, it's you know just they just talk too much, and I don't want to listen to Hackman, and, and this is macho bullshit, and uh, then they talk about comp books for some reason, and I'm like, what, 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 what do you want? What, what would have appeased you here? Because <laughs> on the one hand, you say it's macho bullshit, and then we have a sequence where they're talking about Silver Surfer. I felt like that was then that was like Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. doing a rewrite when it's so obvious it's a Tarantino bit of dialogue, giving you dorks something. Something here, and even that's not good enough. So, I mean, this is one of those, uh, as I said, I'm just so in the uh, Crimson Tide weeds here that I just, I see it as like everyone knows it's a masterpiece, and I like, I will hear nothing else about it. Nothing. <laughs> so, you're like Gene Hackman then. Um, hmm, maybe. Nope. Yeah. If, if I could, if I could <laughs> slap the shit out of these letterbox reviews that are, you know, and I'm saying, I'm upset because they're giving it like three and a half out of five stars, and I'm ooh, like, not, ooh, not good, good enough. enough. No, no. 
Um, I had that thought when I was watching Crimson Tide that you have touched upon recently of I want that old 90s like cut and dry like we start out on an airship uh, aircraft carrier on CNN we end on an air, uh, aircraft carrier on CNN and in between it's just wall to wall like tension and cut and dry like there's no <laughs> relationship drama there's no uh, you know even though it's the Navy there could have been uh with all those men on board. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't have been opposed to, you know, Steve Zahn uh, getting into somebody's butt, I guess, if, <laughs> if need be. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I would pick for that uh, particular relationship. I don't think Vigo. Uh, I don't know. Everyone's really sweaty in this sub. And I, 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 I do like how it, conditioning it. A, a visual cue is they go to different rooms. Different rooms have like a sort of neon light basking yeah. off these sweaty men. So it's like we go to the weapons room and there's Aragorn like basked in like red. And then you go up and there's Denzel in green. I'm like, yeah, I like, I like this. I like this aesthetic here. Uh, I, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. We, we even start with a birthday party for Denzel's kid. And the fucking production they put on for this magician for her, I don't know what birthday it is, but uh, this little girl. And he, CNN, draws his attention. It's not like someone's called him and been like, hey, this is going to be you, buddy. We're sending you to go fight the damn Russians. You may have to blow them all up, every <laughs> single one of them. He's just watching CNN, and I like that you uh, you just have a brief moment with his family where the wife's like, just say goodbye. Just like, you know, we don't need... No sense talking about it. You're already going to do it. So, uh, yeah, it's a little different from the other Jerry Bruckheimer movies. Like, um, I know it's Michael Bay, but The Rock comes out a year later and has a very sort of similar kind of uh, style. And it also has the old versus the young, like, you know, trying to work together. But uh, one thing I never really liked about The Rock is you have Nicolas Cage and his uh, newly pregnant girlfriend. And we cut back to her, like, almost on the verge of tears all the time because they're about to <laughs> blow up Nicolas Cage. Get that shit out of here. I don't I don't need to see it. <laughs> Stay with the men. Stay with the sweaty men. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just there's no room for that in that uh, type of situation. Like, I, I I just don't care how people are going back on the shore. And am like, I making got... it more progressive for Letterboxd? Stay with the sweaty <laughs> men. No women here. <laughs> you're doing your best. I say you're trying to get rid of this toxic masculinity. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be toxic. And hot too. <laughs> Sweaty apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um that that's a good good enough transition. Sweaty. Maybe not as attractive. Uh Bruce Willis. <laughs> always sweaty and dirty. Also sweaty. Uncle, you better come look at this. What? There's a white man standing in the street. I've seen one. Not like this. Dial 911. Tell the police to get up here quick. Somebody's about to get killed. Hey, get your butts to school, you hear me? All right. Morning. Good morning. 
You having a nice day, sir? You feeling all right? Not to get too personal, but a white man standing in the middle of Harlem wearing a sign that says, I hate niggas, has either got some serious personal issues or not all his dogs are barking. Hey, I'm talking to you. Now, you got about 10 seconds before those guys see you. But when they do, they will kill you, you understand? You are about to have a very bad day. Tell me about it. Sir, this is a police matter for your own safety. I'm gonna you damn you right it's a police matter for your own safety. I suggest you hide your butt in my shop till the police get here. What the fuck? Oh, shit. Listen, I'm a cop. What? I'm on a case. Somebody blew up bond with tellers an hour ago. Did you hear about that on the news? Yeah. The same asshole that did that said, I got to come to Harlem and do this or he's going to blow up something else. Do you understand? Listen, I got a gun. You they should get across the guns. street. You should get across Look, the street. Start acting crazy. What? All right? Like Looney Tunes, you know, like Bellevue. Hey, Suits. Friend of yours? He looked like a friend of mine. <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. Starts out sweaty and dirty, and I figured you'd like this. Incredibly hungover. That's how our hero starts off. I can off. relate to this, I said. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I also like that this was, this may have been the last hurrah of uh, Bruce Willis receding hairline before I think he just permanently became a uh, sort of a bald movie star. I say he didn't embrace it. There you go, Jared. Yeah. You're working on, you really are working on Jack Nicholson shining style. <laughs> <laughs> it's too far back to be a Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, he's got that little, uh, his, uh, I guess the way his hairline was being flanked was leaving just enough in the middle for him just to have it. A little like tuft in the yeah. middle to where it still looked like a normal person's well, hairline. And oh, it, mine's like. Bleh. It also accentuates like how stressed he is, right? Because there's a little bit of the like <laughs> he's been in some shit. Because that one little tuft is either wet, <laughs> dirty. <laughs> there's been a bomb going off. You know. His face is constantly in tension so much that his hairline receded back to the back of his head. I could be a director. I, I'd have this shit, or I'd you know I could give it a cue. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You're sweaty. Go. <laughs> no, no. Need more from the tuft, Bruce. The tuft. <laughs> uh, I'll just uh, admit this is also another favorite. Now I was watching this with the mm-hmm. wife, and she was asking questions because we did we watched Die Hard uh, over Christmas, and um, Die Hard Two. I I think I've only seen the second one one time when I was a kid, and the, the really? reason I've never revisited Die Hard Two is as a I don't know ten year old. Uh, mm-hmm. where if someone puts you in front of an R-rated movie, you're going to be like, this is awesome. I remember as a 10-year-old thinking, I don't like this. And I, I felt <laughs> like, man, how bad how bad can Die Hard 2 be if, as a fucking kid? I was like, eh, nah, no thanks. Just Let's just go back <laughs> to the first one. And I, I love this one. Um, so I'm, I'm only really operating this as like a two-part story <laughs> of John McClane's life where he, you know, goes through absolute hell in a skyscraper to get back together with his wife they separated from. And in the third one, keeping with our crimson tide, kind of look at, I guess, the women in action movies. Uh, <laughs> she is a joke, a running gag that he has not <laughs> called her back. And the movie climaxes before the final fight with him. Finally, people are like, you know, you should really call your wife. You've survived yet another event from a terrorist, uh, or I guess a fake terrorist. Uh, give her a call. And what does he do? Calls her. And then just drops the phone. Uh, nah, I gotta kill some more people. I ain't got time for this. <laughs> Fantastic. I love, <laughs> I love the, the treatment of, uh, I guess Mrs. McLean here. Uh, phenomenal. In some way, some respects, I prefer it to the, the, the uh, princess, the quest object of the first one. 
It's uh, – and I have to reveal to our listeners here, I watched one right after the other. So it is (laughs) – it was an easy comparison between the two of just straight balls to the wall, does not stop, (laughs) does not give you one second to breathe. We got bombs. We got race relations, which is uh, discussed a little bit more, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. A little bit too much if I have to – I mean, not to get too far off your point, but – they kind of went to the well a little bit. The same things. Jackson character. I, that is his. That is his one bit for the first yeah. 30, 40 minutes. But before he becomes, <laughs> I don't know. At some point in the movie, he decides he can jump off a bridge onto a ship, and you're like, man, he's all in. He's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> that character switch came pretty quick, yeah. didn't it? From I'm not going with you downtown New York to I'm going to jump off this bridge. <laughs> I don't know if that's a. That's not a, probably a good representation of befriending John McClane if he makes you damn near mm-hmm. suicidal like you know, if you, you, <laughs> you suddenly believe that you are John McClane um, I, I wondered how that shit would age because it's sadly I guess 25 years later it's not like uh, race relations or I guess I should say the discussion of race has not become more open or pleasant it's not like we ever really is as a <laughs> as a human race we've not gotten any better 25 years, 25 years on and probably have receded, uh, much like uh, Bruce Willis's hairline as far as how we uh, handle relations with our fellow man. Well, you asked me four years ago, maybe, but. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I will say one thing I like quite a bit about this is that, like with the rest of the series, John McClane, even when it comes to uh, discussions of race, is just a punching bag. Yet again, like he pretty much just <laughs> takes it. You know, he's just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, look, all right, all right, yeah, yeah, yep, I am, I am that guy. Yep, I'm a white <laughs> cop. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, also, guess what? I lied to you and said there was a bomb in a black <laughs> school. <laughs> just get you come, come with me. Uh, he takes ownership of his his flaws in in that regard, and uh, I, I really like. I think that's the only reason it works. I don't think you could have you couldn't have like say the Gene Hackman character in the John McClane role, someone who's like gets his back up and wants to argue with you to the death about how no, he's not actually racist and everything he does is correct and right. <laughs> that doesn't make for a very pleasant movie, but I think you know the John McClane persona of just <laughs> take your beatings and then try to walk it off. I think I think it fits. Well, being shot at is truly without race. <laughs> Dodging bullets. <laughs> I, I can't really say much as a detriment to this movie. Maybe it was a little bit too long. Maybe it did the 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 white black joke too much. But I mean, other than that, I mean, it's giving issue with the uh, the fact that it's I guess the diehard that sort of broke the mold as far as diehard and a skyscraper diehard on a plane. Like this is just this is a uh, and I think it was retrofitted from a an action script that was not written for Die Hard. It was called Simon mm-hmm. Says, and it was just a generic cop or whatever. And, and they, they just applied that. Yeah, they just applied it. And I mean, this is just diehard over a whole city, so it doesn't have that uh, bottle episode kind of quality to it. I thought maybe it would bother me a little bit because you have that formula. But by the third movie, man, you got to have a little bit of innovation, at least a little bit. And uh, I guess it's the uh, sign of the day and times we're in where I just, man, I, I, I fucking love practical stunts and effects like that. You see that subway car come off and you know that that's actually like coming full steam at mm-hmm. somebody. Not going like, you know, obviously not out of control, but like 
you have actual shit like getting blown up and thrown across sets and shit. Like that's that, that's so refreshing to watch. Another one I watched recently. Man, I've just I've had a weekend, an awesome weekend away from uh, Trump and the <laughs> pandemic. As I watched Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh yeah, you. Were... <laughs> oh my god! Oh heaven, heaven. <laughs> oh, 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 you've really treated yourself this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's you know back to the. Back to the podcast coal mines, I guess, next week where I can <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice my mind for our 12 listeners. Um, yeah, I've, I, I like I, it's hard for me to compare the two. I would say, like, I, I prefer Crimson Tide, I guess, because it's it doesn't have the, the big brother looming over it of the original Die Hard, right? Like, uh, that's that's the classic, and this is you know, this is the third version of it, which ended up being five or six. Die Hards? I can't. I've I, not watched one past this one, if I'm honest. You don't you don't need to. I, <laughs> I've heard that I've made yeah. the right choice. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there, there is that element of it. And it was interesting that, I mean, when I brought up the whole bottle episode aspect, Crimson Tide is basically doing that. Like, if you were, if you like the classic Die Hard on something, well, mm. now you got it on a fucking boat, which I think... I think Steven Seagal did that was Under Siege, right? And then Wesley Snipes said Passenger 57. There was a whole series of those. And I guess Speed was more the most successful of the uh, the ones aping the, the diehard uh, pitch. But, yeah, they're so close that it's like th- this was really a uh, embarrassment of riches in May of 1995 <laughs> for, for action movies. Like, my goodness. Like, you, I, I honestly wonder looking back, like, why did they release these a week apart? Like, you would think, like, was there not more room? This, I know there were, there were not 20 Marvel movies crowding out all the weekends. So I, I'm kind of surprised that they had these right on top of each other, along with the Harry and Sally going, fuck, French men and women was also strange this month. You know, I think, uh, and we've touched on this before, I think it's just the fact that there was less to do. There, <laughs> there's less hobbies in the 90s than there are now. You have so many different avenues of, uh, and especially delivered straight to your home entertainment compared to, well, fuck, we can go to the movies twice in a weekend. Who gives a shit? Yeah, there are fewer things to divide your attention. Attention. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the <laughs> ways to talk yourself out of, like, do mm-hmm. I need to go see yet another action movie? Like, I just did that last <laughs> weekend. I'm going to do it again. I did have a sweet moment where... Uh, my stepmom checked in with my wife. Didn't check in with me. I don't, I don't know if that meant that it was more <laughs> serious. Checked in with my wife to ask how I was handling not having new movies, not being able to go to the movie theater, like like doing like a mental health check on me. Like, okay. <laughs> and uh, it was funny. <laughs> like Brittany told her, like, oh, he, he's fine. And he is like, he's embracing, like, because I told you, I've told our listeners, I went back to fucking Commando. Die Hard with a Vengeance, Crimson Tide. Like, I'm going back to my old favorites. It's like, you know, the ability to to, to go back and date, uh, you know, your your high school crushes again or something. And uh, just, you know, you can just check in with them. But, and it's back when they were at their peak and, you know, before they revealed that they were fucking crazy in some some way. <laughs> I, was, I was really trying to, like, I was like, there's, there's some bits I could use here. But I was like, ah, on the off chance, one of our 12 is <laughs> someone that actually... <laughs> knew me in real life uh we'll just keep it to the movies i i i'm a big fan of these so uh, wrapping it up do you have a preference on our uh, uh black man white man uh <laughs> try to defuse uh bombs or or launch them i guess in the case of uh crimson tide 
always think that it's better for podcast listeners if we disagree on things. And I, I'm not going to try to on purpose. I, I just Crimson Tide just does more for me as a movie. We've already seen Die Hard, and it, it's fine. It's like going to McDonald's and getting that uh, meal that you're always used to. That's um, John McClane doing his shit, man. Like if you can't enjoy that as an American man, I don't. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Crimson Tide, though. Uh, I could have taken an extra 15, 20 minutes of them just bantering with one another. I enjoyed them going back at one another, like verbally jousting with their ideologies. Uh, it's Gene Hackman is such a likable villain. He might be one of the most likable villain. Not saying he's actually like a hardcore villain in this one, but when he is that like smarmy jackass. <laughs> Whatever you want to call him in this movie, he he excels in it. Here's a question for you, because uh, when you said that, I'm like, has he ever just played like just a nice guy? It's always some sort of jackass, isn't it? Like, <laughs> like, like he's also the hero. Like, okay, like I, I just clicked on my IMDb. His four that he's known for: The French mm-hmm. Connection, which is not like an ideal version at the look <laughs> at like police work. Uh, you know, the poster is a man getting shot in the back. Um, <laughs> the Royal Tenenbaums, where the majority of the runtime is his family talking about how awful he is and what a <laughs> complete jackass he is, and can they please remove him from the family home because they can't stand him? Unforgiven. Uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he's the villain in that one. I mean, he's he's a fun villain, but I'm pretty sure Clint Eastwood, even as the guy who has killed many people, uh, we cheer when he kills one more. <laughs> Still on a moral high ground higher than um, Gene Hackman's sheriff. So we're 0 for 3, or 3 for 3, if you're oh. uh, from mine and Jared's perspective. of uh, He's got a batting a 1,000 on being a <laughs> fucking asshole. Uh, the Poseidon Adventure, I have never seen, so I can't speak no. to that. But, well, you got this one. You've got, uh, he's not the villain in Hoosiers, but he's still like... <laughs> <laughs> it's all, it's always that same like quick witted asshole nature that he has that's that's so likable. Here's one uh, I'm surprised we've not covered it on the podcast. It's probably just because it's not been a nice round number. Uh, Heartbreakers oh. with Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt, which I think is her oh, most boobtastic performance. Uh, we could do <laughs> one. <laughs> and here I am complaining about the the liberal elite on Letterbox ruining Crimson Tide when I'm yeah, off the cuff. Heartbreakers, boobtastic. <laughs> Four and a half stars. Boobs on this sub. <laughs> <laughs>